Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be joined by the wonderful Anna Gasteyer to talk all about the series American Auto. And in talking a little bit about your initial character development, um, I know you did a lot of research, particularly into uh, people like Mary Barra, who's the CEO yeah. of General Motors. And I was really interested in, in some of the details that ended up in Catherine or some of the, the characteristics and traits that you would read about that, that really kind of were, were through waves in the research that you were doing that you felt really would also be a fit for this character when you were first envisioning her? I know it's such a deep question and I love that you assume I'm that deep. Um, I, I mean, it's, it is an interesting kind of the thing that you see about leadership, particularly, um, I was going to say particularly female leadership. I think leadership across the board, is th there is a um, tacit requirement to be at least a demi-narcissist. You sort of have to in the best way, I mean, you have to have blinders. There has to be kind of um, you have to care about the 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 outcome, but you have to be able to move quickly past a negative outcome, and and to not really get caught up in concern about public opinion in in the process of that decision making. So it's fun to play Catherine because I obviously this is it's a comedy, so you want to find the sort of softer edges on that places that you can kind of poke a bit. And I think the insecurity is about public opinion and the insecurity is, um, again, it's just a natural situation. If you take her fish out of water is that she doesn't know anything about the automotive industry. It's a very masculine organization. She doesn't even know how to drive. So her way in, even though she's had this successful career in big pharma, she's a, a, a established and esteemed CEO. Um, I think you know, who obviously fought the good fight. We don't get into it a lot, but to get the job to begin with, I think she has to kind of um, move forward with a with a projection of hyperconfidence in her in her ideas and her decisions, which aren't always right. They're just they're just confident, you know. And you you touch upon a great point there as well in terms of her experience, and she does have the credentials and she does have the experience. Um, and the expertise and and it feels like between the way that that Justin Spitzer who created the show has written her and the way that you've played her you've always kind of found this line of she's an intelligent person that just doesn't always make the right decisions and doesn't always respond to things in the right way but the intention and the intellect is there and so I was really interested in how you kind of found that very specific line of how to play her in that way especially at the beginning of the show it was hard because as a comedian you meet you you just want to play to the again partially because this is a show that's coming out of, of nbc workplace comedy dna so you know the natural decision is going to come off of a michael scott um and and kind of the buffoon boss right um and i think that i think that well there's great comedy in that it's not um it, it's just not as believable she's a she's she's the ceo of a of a you know fortune 500 company like you you can't be a complete and utter fool she went to she has an mba she went to business school you know she is aware and savvy um of her peers and of the of the culture around her and what makes for success and she has a shorthand i always try really hard for example in the finale there's a lot of shorthand language around our uh, our valuations and our stock stock language which is obviously not something that's familiar to me so i always try to have like a facility with that language because i assume that numerically that's something catherine would have like she would have a shorthand and an ability to say whatever you know like i said like valuations and you know like it's 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 like 
to me, the equivalent of being on like a law show or a medical show where you have to have jargon available. Um, so anytime we have language that's written that way, I try really hard to sound fast and furious with it. Um, and then the larger, the, the, the com let the comedy play out in the moral ambiguity and in the um, hum, you know, acts of humanity, you know, whether or not she's um, uh, a good teammate and whether or not she's going to take care of um, those around her, you know, and how much she cares about those things. That's where the comedy has to play. Does that make sense? It does. And, and that idea that you're talking about there in terms of what she knows and what she doesn't, you know, she doesn't need to know how a car is made. She has to understand the numbers and, and have a really strong adeptness in terms of that is quite interesting as well in terms of how that influences the dynamic in scenes for you, because it yeah. kind of plays into how much is she listening to someone in the room versus how much is she just taking information on surface level. And Completely. Um, so when you go into scenes, kind of how do you look at the writing to kind of go, okay, well, how engaged is she? Is she actually listening to this person or is she focusing on what's happening over here and, and thinking oh, I love that you head in a different direction? Made that observation is what I find hilarious about people in leadership and again, in studying them often, um, there is a, I'll probably get in trouble with my daughter's generation for saying this, but there's an ADD quality to really good CEOs. And I envy it because I want to talk too long and too deeply. And as a human, I, 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 I drill too deep, but, but great leaders are really good at listening to a bunch of things at the same time and moving on. They're not spending a lot of time wondering how did I handle that? They're not, they're not fussing about the emotional edges around things and they're moving quickly. They want an answer and they're busy. They're up, they're at it all day long. You know, I mean, the only parallel I might have to my own life is as a professional woman, like, I guess we're all sort of micro CEOs. We have our, you know, those crazy days. I'm a mother, I'm a wife, you know, I'm a daughter, I'm a friend, and I have a career that has 7,000 things going on at the same time with lots of people that I have to talk to and make quick decisions on. But um, it's not the same as sort of also having to project that, that confidence constantly at the workplace. That's why this is like a very kind of surface level thing, but that's why we care so much about her hair. Um, Jane Stunham, who's the head of our hair department, is there's never a strand of Catherine's hair out of place. And because she projects, she wants to project control. And Alix Hester, our costume designer, everything is a very like in control, organized and tidy look so that even if she's falling apart at the seams, she's never going to belie that um, physically. And it also feels like that plays into her relationship with with her femininity. And I was interested in in kind mm. of how you viewed that because again, it's she's someone who's come up in the industry in a way that she's probably had to have much sharper edges in order to attain the level of success that she has. And then the femininity has kind of come second and probably had to have been suppressed for her, but there's certain projections and expectations still within the workplace. Like I thought it was so wonderful, the episode where she's sitting there getting Botox in the middle of the office and, and talking yes. about all of that. Um, and so how have you viewed that ongoing relationship in terms of what that means for your portrayal? It's funny because we actually, um, I rarely, I, I trust Justin so much and he's got such great insight to human behavior across, you know, gender, race, you know, age and size, frankly. Um, he, he really does. But we got to that episode and there was quite a bit of like, basically it didn't really involve having, it was more about Catherine at the last minute being like, oh, I've been so busy. I didn't have time to get my gear done. And I, I called him up and I said, listen, she's not a person who would ever be out of control of that. This is somebody who's understood because of the 30 years that she spent in the industry that you don't have the opportunity to fall apart physically. You don't, you cannot, um, 
you can't give anyone a shot at you that way. You've had, you've had, you've handled it. You've had your stylist come in. It's on your calendar. You know when it's going to happen. And sure, if you fall behind, but it's it's just the price of doing business and to be taken seriously. You have to be poised. You have to be polished, and you have to look younger than you are because it's an ageist industry and you have no choice in the matter. Um, so there was something kind of. Uh, she's not going to spend her time. Um, honestly, wringing her hands over feminism on that one. She's not going to spend her time. Um, you know, it's kind of cool because th that the scene with, I love that scene with Sadie, where she's just like getting her Botox done and, you know, running the company and, and mentioning to Sadie that she should be starting when Sadie looks like a million bucks, of course, because it's Harriet. Um, I, I love the idea that it's just this kind of, uh, this deal with the devil, you know? And, and because she is so externally poised, are there challenges that come with kind of capturing elements of a character where so much of the, of the fallout is this very kind of like internal build of tension and pressure within because she's really trying to keep a lid on it for everyone else around her? Yeah, thank God it's a comedy because I do get to have these volcanic explosions every blue moon, you know, which are incredibly fun to play. Um, and, you know, and things like they, they they do a really good job with the writing. Things like the fear of the rabbits, which just comes out of nowhere, you know, that she just needs drugs to, to handle an anxiety attack. Um, you, you see them. So it's leaks. It leaks out of her or the or the freak out at the end of the premiere, you know, the the World War Three freak out, the freak out in um, the hacks episode when that when we get hacked uh, of, of the fact that I've, you know, literally compromising photographs of me to my husband, which were almost entirely clinical, by the way, just to save my marriage. There's like very little like sort of passion that she'll admit to. And you're right, it's a simmer um, that then boils, pops off every now and again out of the teapot, you know? Although there, there have been slight, it feels like there's slightly more elements in terms of of the the physical tension kind of coming out. You know, there's more scenes with like the sweat or even the rabbit episode that you were mentioning. And so how has that opened up some of the the elements of playing to the tension in a different way this season? I mean, yeah, I think, I just think the whole thing is more inhabited. I think season two of any show um, allows for us to go from the premise to the character really. and. Um, I think that's just, but it, it was an accident, it was an accident, but also intentional. I think as soon as Catherine martyred herself at the beginning of season two, on behalf of her team, we started to see a little bit of her, her humanity and we got to hear from her over and over again about how um, incredibly important she felt about having martyred herself, but um, she ultimately chose her team. And that's, um, that allows for us to see that there's a, there's a heart in there. It's not just a, you know, black hearted leader that's interested in nothing but money. And it's not just, you know, the stereotypical boss, you start to really have a sense of camaraderie and kinship and all the things that make a workplace comedy work, you know? And I do love that back to feminism that again, that some she's misguided a lot, but that she's more of a buddy to Sadie this season. So she leads, she trusts her team, but she also has some, um, some, a sense of comp of, of emotional connection with, with the women on her team in particular, I would say with Dory and with, with Harriet, with Sadie, there are some really sweet moments, um, of, of, of connection, you know, and leadership and mentorship as well. 
Do you feel like she's also someone who who kind of values earned respect? You know, at the beginning, the dynamic with Sadie, Sadie was very kind of apprehensive and very nervous around her and, and yes. wasn't as much of a straight shooter. And now that Sadie's more confident in telling her what she thinks, it feels like there's this real respect that comes in certain moments. Yeah. And I think that also comes from being a woman of, of my generation. Leaders, leaders from my generation, as you mentioned in your first question, um, weren't given a lot of uh, first of all, they just didn't have a lot of colleagues that were, that were men. Um, so there was a lot of more pressure, you know, coming through the nineties and two thousands to, to play like a boy, basically. Um, I think the idea of, of specific, the specifically female qualities are, that's more of an, that's a newer idea. That's an idea that's in leadership within the last, you know, five to 10 years, the sort of the, the jump from lean in to, you know, I don't know who's the example now, but the sort of the, the listen, the listening community, you know? Um, and so I think the reason I bring that up is that I think early on the earned respect part for her, and she, there was that great scene. I don't know if you remember in the workplace violence sequence where, where Catherine has to kind of speak to the massive differences in 10 years of what was expected of her, uh, expected of her, that you weren't allowed to show any weakness, you know, um, and that she sort of doesn't know where she fits in anymore. Um, and I think she's she's genuinely hoping to see that kind of strength projected from Sadie, partially out of like a a purely protective um, instinct, you know, that you that that if you're gonna be wishy washy, you're gonna get mowed over. And and that idea of her vulnerability is quite interesting because it comes out in very limited and very selective places. And the the Seth Meyers sequence this season was such a, a yeah. fascinating space to watch a character like her have a moment like that when she tries not to so frequently. Um, and so what what were the elements that you really kind of saw happening for her in that moment of realizing my back's up against the wall and this is actually the best direction to go in right now? Well, what's interesting is that the vulnerability is what ends up being the strength, right? For all of the sort of Machiavellian play that she does and the attempt to kind of, you know, she'll screw with a Seth Meyers. She doesn't care. You know, um, it was a really, really fun sequence to film uh, just, you know, outside of the comedy, the idea I've, I've obviously been on Seth Meyers a lot in my life as Anna Gasteyer and it was fun to think of this character. So, you know, when you have people who aren't from entertainment and how overwhelming that must be and, and intimidating to be in the public spotlight like that, even for a public figure like Catherine, um, she would have been very intimidated. She would have been very excited. She would have been worried about what she was wearing, but she was also, you know, really trying to architect the situation to her own advantage. And ultimately when she gives in and when she's kind of straightforward about the situation and human about the situation is when we come to like her the best. So it was, it was a very, it was well-crafted, I thought, from a writing standpoint. And Seth was fantastic. And, and, you know, everybody's playing like a version of themselves, obviously, but what's so great is he's such a genuinely nice person, Seth. It was, it was, I think, intimidating to him to, it was like an acting challenge to have to be a jerk, you know? And, and going back to something that you were touching upon before in terms of, of the martyrdom and how essentially the first season was very much everyone was afraid of losing their job and yeah. that Catherine was going to fire them. Yeah. And then it, it created this really fascinating character shift in the fact that 
she throws herself on her sword at the beginning. And even yeah. though she's going to make sure they always know it, it changes yeah. the, the entire ensemble group dynamic. That's right. Um, and so for you, how has that shifted a lot of the ensemble scenes in terms of the way that you're all like, approaching them from a very different space comedically to what season one was? It, to be honest with you, it was a relief. I mean, you know, it's not that it was a, something I was consciously uncomfortable about, but um, again, you have your strengths as a human and as a performer. And I am, I'm, I am just a natural connector. I love working as a part of a team. I like ensemble work. Um, of course, I like playing the boss. It's fine. I like, I like, you know, instigating the material or carrying, you know, a lot of times when you play the boss, you're carrying and driving a lot of the information in a scene. Um, but it was an instant relief because we we really get to just sort of like breathe a sigh of relief and hit everything as a group, as opposed to you just as a as opposed to being at odds with one one another all the time, you know. Um, and there are certainly personality differences and you know um, conflicts throughout our little grouping, but um, I don't know. It just, it was an opportunity. I, I just think it makes, I just think it makes you root for the team a little bit more too. Um, yeah, it was just nice. And I think it's fun to see like the us against the situation or public opinion or the, our underlings or um, the media. I mean, it just gives you like a, a lot of things to play as a team. And, and in terms of, of the dynamic with the cast and shooting scenes as well, you know, obviously Justin and the writing team write so specifically and there's so much information that goes into every single line of dialogue. And at the same time, it does also feel like a space where there is that freedom to try different things and to try alts on the day. Um, Always. And so how is, how is that kind of like evolved going into the second season, just having that level of comfortability and, you know, like you were saying, everybody kind of comes with their own approach and their own style and really yeah. knowing what that is for each other as scene partners. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it makes a huge difference season one to season two to season three. I mean, you know, the writers know what they're writing to now and the, it's just an, a natural process the evolution. People always say, oh, in season, season two is when you really know if a, if a show is something that is going to work or not. And I, I definitely, it just kind of unfolded in a, in a very natural and easy way for us this year, that dynamic, that, that the, the, epicness of the of the pilot I mean the premiere of season two which is this biblical disaster you know um which was so fun to film and so huge I mean it's a shame because it was much longer that could have been a 40 minute episode easily uh, and they had to keep editing it um which I know was a real challenge but they 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 got us there very very quickly and then they were able to sort of let everybody do their thing for the rest of the rest of the season. I also wanted to ask you, you know, you were, you were talking a little bit before about there is that element in terms of in scenes where you're you're playing the boss in terms of the characters, but also as the number one on the call sheet, you're kind of driving the central force of the scene a little bit as yeah. well. Um, and I was just interested in in kind of like how that dynamic comes into play in the moment where it's like there's the off-screen version of what that looks like, but it's also transferring into the performance that you're giving on characters at the same time. It's a big responsibility. I mean, it really is. I know people, I, I never really paid much attention to call, call numbers before. I, I come from Saturday Night Live where we took, you know, the subway to work and we were all kind of in a pool of, of, of idiots. So, um, you know, this is the, and usually I play number three or four. I play the funny lady. I play the person who pops in a day and a half. Everybody's so delighted I'm there and I leave. Um, you know, so it is a dynamic difference. It's, 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 you know, 5am Monday till midnight on, on Friday, a lot. Um, 
and it's a responsibility to, I just think it's a real responsibility. You know, I, I have 20 years on some of my cast members. I have been around the block a lot and I, I have to, I have to present a professional front and it's, it's, um, it's probably similar to what Catherine has to do. You know, you're in a leadership position. You have to treat people with dignity. You have to um, show up on time and know your lines. And I mean, I would do those things anyway, but I think the pressure is, uh, I, I definitely feel the, I feel a responsibility to Justin, to the network, to my cast, you know, um, to guest cast, to our background artists, to not waste anyone's time, you know? And, um, and it just sets a better, it just sets it, sets it up for a nicer day. For ultimately, it's selfish, just like Catherine. Well, I, I love everything that you've built into her as, as a character. It's always so wonderful to watch. So it's been really fascinating to hear all these details. Thank you so much, Anna. I really appreciate I it. I really appreciate it. And it's funny, like, I always feel so exhausted listening to myself talk about my own process. But I will say it's been, it's so empowering to play a female CEO. It is. It's just really, really empowering. At the end of the day, it, it, no matter how like sort of muddy and befuddled and, and, you know, how many missed marks she hits, it's still just a delight to, um, and a privilege. I mean, I, I do remember, I'm old enough to remember I've worked long enough to know that, you know, this role was written. Uh, I think he wrote it 10 years ago initially and then he went and made this and made superstore and then revisited it was a guy's part back then and then they thought oh it might be more interesting if it's a girl now but i a woman now i just don't think that um i'm old enough to know that this these opportunities didn't exist before and they do now and so i want to take advantage of that you know represent it well i really really love that well thank you so much i really appreciate everything you got it thank you